Um, we're doing this series, this kingdom series, and I've really been enjoying it. Um, I've been enjoying listening to the word from Pastor John and Pastor Pat, and I get the privilege of just sharing and finishing off our series today. Um, and really the message um, that I want to bring today is rather simple. Uh, the message today is this, teach us to pray. When we think about the kingdom of God and what that is and what that looks like, sometimes it can feel like or seem like it's an ambiguous idea, something ethereal, something out there, something we don't quite understand. Uh, but actually, as we've been going through the series, I've been realizing, no, actually, the kingdom of God is near. It's close. I would go so far to say the kingdom of God is here. It is among us. It is in us. That if the King of Kings reigns in your heart, then there the kingdom is. If the King of the universe is the Lord of your life, then there the kingdom is. And the beautiful thing about that is wherever you go, there the kingdom is. In the deepest valley of your toughest challenge and your greatest grief, there the kingdom is. On the highest mountain of success and achievement and delight, there the kingdom is. And on the super average days, where it's sleep, work, eat, repeat, there the kingdom is. Can you sense it this morning? Why don't you just close your eyes for a minute? We do this often in church and in this corporate setting, most of the time it really is about eliminating distraction, but as we close our eyes and just focus on King Jesus, He is here. The King is here. The King is among us. The King is with us. He is close. He is accessible. And the kingdom is here. And so as we sit under your word today, King Jesus, would you minister to the places in our lives and in our hearts that perhaps have been blind or deaf to the kingdom, that have missed it amongst the activity and the action of our day. And we repeat the desire and the ask of the disciples that say, Lord, teach us, teach us, teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, can you say amen? Can you say it louder? Yeah, good, awesome, awesome. Thanks, team. That was really nice. Oh, my God. Don't you love these guys? Thanks, fam. Yeah, you can give them a hand. And we just love you so much, Bree. We just love you and what you bring every week, your whole heart. You're one of those people that from the first time I saw you, maybe it was 2016, 
I thought, I like her. I think she knows Jesus. And um, that's what I think when I think of you. I think, I, I, I think she knows Jesus personally. He's not an idea, someone personal. And we get, we get to be the blessing of all that comes from you in your service and in your worship and your leadership and your gift and in just who you are. So thank you. Can we give Brie one more hand? Awesome. Thanks, fam. And so today, um, I don't know about you, but I can just, I'm, it's hard for me not to be overwhelmed at this moment. But if I know that if I start crying, it's over. Let's just get John back out. He can finish the message. And there's no way I'm turning the tear ducts off. So I'm trying really hard at this moment not to be overcome and start weeping at the beautiful presence of our Jesus. And so, uh, like I said, I'm just going to share a few simple thoughts today. And it's gonna, there's going to be a lot of scripture. Luke 15, uh, 5, sorry, verse 15 and 16. However... The report went around concerning him, Jesus, all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself, Jesus himself, often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. That's cool, huh? Luke 6:12 so just if we if you turn over the page in your bible now it came to pass in those days that he Jesus went out to the mountain to and continued all night say all night in to God okay well that's interesting Turn over a few pages in your Bible, Luke 9 and verse 18. And it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him and he asked them saying, who do the crowd say that I am? As it happened, the disciples happened upon the Lord. And what was he doing? Mm, I think Jesus might like prayer. Luke 9, 28 to 29. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he, Jesus, took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. While he was saying this, this is in verse 34 and 35, a cloud came and overshadowed them and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. Well, that's quite an exciting prayer time. When was the last time you had a prayer time like that? <laughs> like that's just a casual prayer time for the Lord. Jesus is praying and then all of a sudden he is transformed and then the heavens open and then a cloud and God himself audibly speaks. That's a pretty killer prayer time. Right? That's pretty great. And then we turn over again a few chapters, Luke 11 and verse 1. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Lord, as John also taught his disciples. Fam, if I have to work this morning, you got to work this morning. All right? <laughs> if I get to work this morning. Um, and so I love this, and I read all these scriptures because I think, look, uh, that's just in Luke in a couple of chapters, and Jesus seemed to be obsessed with prayer. He seemed to be, like, it seemed to be something that he might actually enjoy doing. It didn't, it doesn't come across to me 
that prayer for Jesus is a religious activity that he kind of ticks off or feels guilty about if he doesn't do during the day. Actually, uh, if, we, if we just go back, let's, let's do this, huh? Why not? Okay, uh, uh, the busier Jesus got, the more he prayed. That's what that scripture tells me. Uh, he continued to pray all night, which is me. How many of us love sleep? Love it. But it turns out that it seems like prayer was even more important than sleep, perhaps more enjoyable than sleep. And then Jesus just hanging out in his everyday, it wasn't a behavior that he put on. As it happened, the disciples found him and he was in prayer. And then the prayer times that Jesus had were phenomenal prayer times that he invited people into, into this connection, into this experience. And so we come to this scripture where the disciples say, teach us to pray. In all of the other gospels, uh, the disciples, it's, it's not mentioned anywhere else, the disciples do not ask Jesus, teach me how to heal people. Teach me how to preach good. Teach me how to have a strategy where thousands of people will show up and hear your word without a sound system. Teach me how to multiply bread and fish. Teach me how to raise people from the dead. They never asked him any of that. What they did ask him, teach us to pray. And so the inference here, this is my inference, this is my guess, that the disciples in walking with Jesus, they pick up on something really important, that all of the kingdom work that Jesus is involved in, it all boils down to this one thing, where Jesus seems to operate in this way where he prays and then his kingdom comes where he engages in prayer and then his kingdom comes. Where he engages in prayer and his kingdom comes. And this, uh, this is good news since we as humans aren't great at complexity. So when we're talking about kingdom, and all the complexities that are around us, this gives us a very powerful and very encouraging look into what does it take for his kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the very least, it must start here. In the very least, it's got to start in this place of prayer. Now, just a random show of hands, okay? No one looking around. Who has, who would here say, I've got a killer prayer life? Like transformations going on. Hands up, don't look around. Yeah, 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 I, I love it, I love it. It's the three people I would expect. <laughs> and everyone else, you're just like me. <laughs> I love that, of course, of course, I love these guys. And the reality is, Probably, we don't get that excited about prayer because we might miss the power of prayer. And so today, I want to just talk here a little bit 
about what it is to pray. What did that mean? Jesus said, uh, the disciples said, Jesus, teach us to pray. Uh, Pastor John recommended this book to me this week, Teach Us to Pray by Andrew Murray. Jesus never taught his disciples how to preach, only how to pray. He did not speak much of what was needed to preach well, but much of, of praying well. To know how to speak to God is more than knowing how to speak to man. Not power with men, but power with God is the first thing. Jesus loves to teach us how to pray. And then this prayer. Our Father in heaven, you can read along if you like, hallowed be your name, your Fantastic. And so the first thing I kind of want to start out with today is that prayer is not just talking to God. Prayer is talking with God. It's not just having this like one-sided conversation. It is actually talking with God. I think a lot of us struggle to learn how to pray because we're so focused on praying. Like, I don't know, man, I can only spend like two minutes in prayer because we're so focused on praying. The only fancy Christian word I know is hallowed. I've heard sanctified too, not sure what it means, but I'm pretty sure I need to use that when I pray. You know, like crazy things like that. I'm just, this is my own experience. You feel free to laugh at me. But when we really think about it, that's a, that's a little bit crazy because in the same way, for example, for me and my husband, Ben, when we go out and we spend time together and have a date night, the aim is not conversation. Conversation is a means to an end. The end goal is relationship, deeper, more intimate, greater relationship. Prayer is the means to an end. And sometimes we get stuck in the, the, the prayer. We think that the power of this statement here is a liturgy, but it's not. It's a template. It's a template of how we can increase our relationship with God so that we know Him and His heart so well and we know His will well, that His kingdom will come and His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the vehicle toward that is often prayer, conversation. And so the one thing I want to encourage us with today is when our prayer lives... Don't focus so much on the words and the conversation and the hallowed's and sanctifieds and justifieds and, <laughs> you know, all those other really great words. If you use those words, great. All I'm saying is those words are simply a means to an end. I want to know you more, Jesus. I want to know you more, God. I want to know what it looks like for your kingdom to be present here in my life, in my finances, in my family, in my community. I want to know you more. That's the point. That's the point of prayer. And so again, prayer is not the end itself. Prayer is a means to an end, and the end is life with God. So Jesus lays this out, our Father in heaven. And we're going to start here, very simple, our Father. Say it out loud. Say it louder. 
Turn to the person next to you and say, Our Father. That was weird, right? <laughs> Our Father. So Jesus starts with these words. And I, I know this morning you may have um, uh, thought about this and, and uh, dwelled in your thoughts around this. But really this morning I felt to share around this particular idea just a little bit. Our Father. And I think about this because of the world we live in today and the culture that we live in today. A lot of it that is, uh, that, that fatherlessness is just prevalent. Fathers that are not present or that are present but are not present. And this fatherlessness, this fatherless society that we live in can make it really hard to actually come into this relationship with God, our Father. But Jesus says, if you're going to pray, and if you're going to pray in the way that has the kingdom of heaven come to earth, we start with your Father. You start with a level of relationship. You start with connection. A.W. Tozer says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. So when you think about God, what do you think about? the ATM machine that if you could just come through with a few extra bucks this week, that would be really great. I, I, I really need a few extra dollars in the bank account. I really need you to break, I really need this, I really need that. There's nothing wrong with needing things, but if God is some kind of cosmic shopkeeper and that's it, well, Jesus said that's not where we start. In fact, in the Lord's Prayer, it's not until halfway through that that statement says, oh, give us this day our daily bread. It's a position of our heart that says, actually, first and foremost, you, God, are my father. The quote goes on to say this, we tend by some kind of secret law of the soul to move toward your mental image of God. And so this morning, again, I ask you, what is that mental image of God? This is not only true of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christian that composes the, the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea about God. How fantastic is that? Uh, as as the, um, Luke 11 carries on, Jesus, uh, then teaching them more about prayer, he uses this story. This is an odd story. And it's one of the reasons why it's one of my favorite stories, because it labors on this idea of relationship and the way we relate with God when it comes to your kingdom come. So teaching them more about, teaching them more about, Jesus uses this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight. I hope your friend is nice. And you are wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, hey, look, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I've got nothing for him to eat. And suppose your friend calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, sounds like me. 
The door is locked for the night. My family and I are all in bed. I am not helping you. Verse eight says this, but I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. You know who has shameless persistence? My three-year-old son. Shameless. Malachi, can't, can't you see we're in church having a prayer time? Mom, 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 excuse me, mom, excuse me, mom. And now, you know what he's done? He, he, he's taken to getting both of his hands, putting them on my face, and violently pointing my face toward his. Mom, look at me. Shameless. <laughs> he does the same thing to his father. Dad, 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 dad. Excuse me, dad. Excuse me, dad. Excuse me, dad. <laughs> because we've been trying to ask, you know, teach him to use his manners. So if you don't look immediately, he just says it louder and louder and louder, thinking I'm still being polite. Isn't this polite? Until finally, dad looks. In the same way that if I'm hanging out with Malachi at home, um, and every time Malachi hears the car pull up in the driveway, he will, Mom, do you hear that? Yes. <laughs> it's Daddy. And as soon as the door opens, the loudest scream from the top of his lungs, Daddy! And he runs towards Dad. Malachi does not care if anyone else came with dad. All he sees is his, it's shameless, absolutely shameless. And I think this is what Jesus is trying to point out here. Then teaching them more to pray, there's a shameless kind of persistence that comes when you know God is your father. There's a shameless kind of persistence that comes when you know, hey God, hey God, Hey, God, <laughs> hey, God, I know there's a whole world happening out there, but right now, you're my father and I need you. You're my father and only you can take care of this. That's different to, yeah, another couple of bucks would be good. Can you see the difference? So your kingdom come, your will be done, comes from this place of shameless persistence. I don't know about you, but that's like a punch in the gut, though he won't do it for friendship's sake. Jesus is like, cool, we friends. I'm not opening the door. <laughs> and I hear that and I think, that is so gangster. I feel like it gives, like it's an introvert's dream. I don't have to open the door to anyone. But really, it's this invitation for Jesus, or Jesus is saying, yeah, friendship is one thing, fathership is another. And there's a blessing and a benefit that comes from friendship, but there's your kingdom come when it's fathership. 
And he's inviting us. What is this? He's inviting us into a greater level of relationship. Can you say amen? Amen. This is my dad. And uh, and my Malachi. Our Malachi. (laughs) I adore my father. And if you've heard my story before, you know... Um, that our growing up, my growing up, wasn't um, the ideal way that a child should grow up. Um, My dad, with his own set of experience and life and demons, uh, was a, a, a dad who was lovely and generous and kind until he wasn't, until something made him mad, and then that that anger would violently burst out of him. And so most of the time I grew up, myself and my two brothers, we grew up kind of walking on eggshells. And I remember, I remember 5.30 was when dad got home. So when we were at school, we'd come home from school, we'd be hanging out, but you could feel the palpable tension in the house as the clock got closer and closer to 5.30. And we would get up and we would start cleaning the house and make it spick and span. And we wouldn't want one thing to be out of place to give my dad a reason to get angry. And this happened for many, many years. And the anger was, um, it was verbal, it was emotional, it was physical. And then eventually my parents divorced. And I thank God for my spirit-filled, Bible-believing mother who prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and who kept faith, but who was strong enough to leave a relationship that was toxic and violent. And as the years carried on, I I met Jesus myself. And I remember struggling with this idea of God, our father. Now you might be here and you might've had a great dad. Um, My my father-in-law, great dad. Um, wonderful dad, kind, generous, consistent, encouraging, funny, great work ethic. Ben had a great dad. I did not. And whatever your experience is here, it would be silly to think that our own earthly experience of our dad doesn't filter our experience with God, our Father. So if you had a great dad, that's awesome. This should be like, yes. If you didn't have a great dad, or if you had a great dad with some experiences that really bent you in a, or bruised you in a particular way, then I want to encourage you this morning. Um, this photo on this side here was a weekend where my dad um, said, Esther, can I buy you lunch? And he said, Esther, let's have lunch. And I said, yes, Absolutely. I always say yes to my dad because he always pays for lunch. And so I'm like, yes. And um, still to this day, the last time I had a meal with my dad, I I would have a meal, he would pay for it, and then he'd give me cash, um, and he'd call it my pocket money. I'm like, Dad, I'm married. I have a kid. He's like, it's your pocket money. Thanks, Dad. (laughs) I'll take it. (laughs) And so uh, we were hanging out, having lunch, and um, Malachi was enjoying himself and loving on my dad. And then my dad asks me uh, at this lunch, he says, hey, can I come to church with you on Sunday? And I said, yeah, absolutely. I'll come and pick you up. 
So uh, I pick up my dad, and this is the Sunday that he came to church, and we go to church, and this is also the same Sunday, and there's another photo, but I, you know, I didn't want to put too many photos of just me and my family. Um, he came to the service, sat in the service, and this was the service where he gave his heart to the Lord. And I got to, I got to stand next to him, I got to pray the prayer with him, um, and he was holding my son on his shoulders, sleeping, and... Um, and I, I, I want to say that the journey was that quick and that simple and that easy, but it just wasn't. Um, it was hard. It was difficult. It was excruciating. And the whole time, I remember prompts from the Holy Spirit all the time saying, Esther, you've got to forgive your dad. Esther, you've got to release your dad from that judgment. Esther, you've got to let this go and allow healing to come in. And I would think, well, no, because I don't want to. That didn't mean Jesus and I didn't stop being friends. We were friends. But there were literally things in the kingdom I could not access because I refused a level of relationship with God, my Father. And then I remember one day God saying to me, Esther, unless you forgive your dad truly and deeply from your heart, you will never allow me to be your father. And your relationship with me will always be limited. So I broke down. I gave in. And so today, um, our relationship is not perfect at all, but it is growing. And you know, one of the things that I have learned is I'm relearning to get to know my dad as a dad. I didn't get that when I was a kid, but now I'm like, yeah, man, I'll take the pocket money. Like, yes. Every time, he doesn't live in New Zealand anymore. He's moved to Fiji. That's where I'm from. That's where the brown is from. Um, but every time my dad would ask, can we go out for lunch? Uh, my dad would, he would come and pick me up. I'd say, yeah, come and pick me up. Because you're my, that's what dads do. Dads pick up their daughters. <laughs> and so in, the, in these later years, I've got to know my father as my father by being a daughter. Not by being a good Christian not by being a great leader, not by being someone who can quote scripture or preach scripture, but I get to know my father as I become his daughter. And in the same way with God, we get to know that our father by positioning ourselves as sons and daughters. Matthew 7, 21 says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my, but he who does the will of my, my Father in heaven. That's the people who get to inherit the kingdom, sons and daughters. That's the people who get to see kingdom revealed in our lives, sons and daughters. And I love, I love this, this whole idea um, that leaders don't necessarily, like I said, inherit the kingdom, but sons and daughters do. Again, today, um, Brie, why don't you come on up? Um, I'm going to wrap up soon. There's still a few things I'd love to share. But even today, if that's been a struggle for you, I just really believe that God wants to bring healing even to your heart and your mind and that mental picture that you might have of Father God 
as you approach him. Because for Jesus, this is where we start, our Father. And so in this moment, with every head bowed and eye closed, if you know that there's a a part of what I've been speaking this morning that has touched on a point for you, and you know actually maybe Maybe you haven't been looking, maybe you've been looking at Jesus as Lord and as Savior and as King, but actually there's a part of your heart and of your life that perhaps struggles to address him as Father, or maybe just has neglected to. But today, this morning, I just really believe God wants to be your Father He wants to take care of you. He wants to love on you. He wants to buy you lunch. And He wants to give you pocket money. He wants to pick you up and rescue you when you're stuck in a jam. He wants to be the first port of call when you're struggling and you don't know what to do. I'm going to call Dad. He wants to be that one that you're in your heart thinking, oh my gosh, is that God? And that you run and you jump excitedly in His arms. He wants to be that that one in your life that you say, hey God, hey God, hey God, my Father, my Father. And if there's any obstacle, if you need to forgive, if you need to release, maybe an earthly father or a father figure for a situation or a circumstance. Can I say this today? A shameless persistence is what is required. A boldness in your heart to say, no, I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm not gonna be fatherless but I'm gonna walk this earth knowing the King of Kings as my Father. So if that's you this morning, I just want you to respond however you wanna respond. Maybe you wanna stand and lift your hands or maybe just in your seat, you wanna lift your hands, but just respond in any physical way that you feel is appropriate. And if you just wanna do that now, And as you're moving into that physical position, as I just pray even now, come on, in your heart, would you release? Would you forgive? Would you forgive your earthly father? Would you forgive and release that earthly father figure who may have done something or a series of things that have skewed your perception? Or maybe you just haven't experienced God as your dad and you're saying, I want that, I want that. As you respond this morning, Father, I lift up every life and every heart to you and I just pray that your wraparound presence would come. I just even believe people have been getting tension headaches. Like a, like a constant tension, headaches. And part of it is because you're 
doing things, you're striving to do things on your own. Actually, in this moment right now, I can sense the tension leaving you as you release, as you forgive, as you say, yeah, God, I want you to be my father. And that God's gonna take care of you. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right now? I just wanna pray for you. Oh, there's a few people. Awesome, awesome. Father, right now, I thank you for healing that's coming as tension is leaving people's bodies, that striving, that trying to do it on my own, make it on my own, make things happen. I thank you, God, as you come as Father, you are releasing that tension as you take care of them, as you bring peace, God's gonna take care of it, that they can relax and be sons and daughters. And I thank you, God, those tension headaches are gonna go in the name of Jesus. As peace comes and settles in its place, the peace, the Prince of Peace comes and settles in their minds in the name of Jesus. Amen. How good, so good. Come on, we carry a lot of tension when we try and do life on our own. Okay, I'm gonna skip this next part because I kind of went there already, okay? We're gonna end here. Your kingdom come. Can you say it? Yeah, say it a little bit stronger. Turn to the person next to you, say it. And the person on the other side. Your kingdom come. Well, the Lord's kingdom, not yours. You know. <laughs> You're like, I knew, I knew I was royalty. I knew it. Um, <laughs> and so this, the, the Lord's Prayer, teach us how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I love this included in the prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You know what the inference is? Is that our requests and our prayers to God really do make a difference. They make a difference in actually what God does and what He doesn't do. And it's really important that we believe that and know that in our hearts. <clears throat> that Jesus is saying here, actually this template of prayer, this way to pray, that God being our Father and understanding and knowing this relationship is one of the most powerful ways that we can see His kingdom come. But I wonder whether most of us actually believe this. Do, do we? Like, do we actually believe that what we pray matters? I think if we did, we might pray a little more. I think if we really did believe that in my relationship with God, so beautiful, so close, so intimate as my Father, and then as I pray, your kingdom come, that that's not just like a, a, a dead ritual, because God doesn't respond to dead rituals. I mean, you wouldn't either. I don't know why we'd expect God to. <laughs> and so our requests really do make a difference. Uh, one of the books that I've been reading lately is called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. I highly recommend it. 
It is a great book. But really in this book, he talks about this one thing called this Christian cynicism that we can have that leaves us paralyzed in our faith. As if the world is monolithic and frozen, to ask God for change confronts us with our own unbelief, our own doubt. Is it even possible? Doesn't God do what He wants to do anyway? What's the point in praying? And because it's uncomfortable to feel that unbelief, especially in a realm of faith, we come face to face with our cynicism and we dull our souls with the narcotic of activity. So I'll just insert activity more. Um, yeah, look, I'd love to pray more, but I've got to take the kids to sport. And God wants me to be a good parent. Yes. And you kind of missed the point. Yeah, like I, I'd love to pray more, but I've got to do all these other things. I've, um, and uh, I, don't, I don't know if you'll actually answer prayers, but I'll serve more. But I'll kind of show up more and I'll do all these other things. But we can dull our soul with all of that activity if it lacks the connection. If it lacks the relationship. If it lacks this beautiful, organic, living, breathing, growing relationship that we can have with Jesus. Many Christians haven't stopped believing in God. We've just become functional deists. Living with God, but at a distance. Because somehow we have to live with this thing like, I want to ask, but I'm not sure if God will actually do it. Anyone been there? Oh, come on. There's got to be more of you, right? I want to ask God for healing. I don't know if He'll actually do it. More importantly, I don't know what that will mean for me if He doesn't do it. I want to ask for God to break through in my community, in my family, in this relationship. But I don't know what's going to happen if I ask and He doesn't do it. What does that mean for me? Is it because He doesn't want to listen to me? Is there something wrong with me? And we go down this road. I tell you, all of us should have our hands up because it's been present since the beginning of time. Genesis 3, where the enemy, Satan, says, did God really say? Did God really say? No, look, I don't think that's what he said. I don't think that's what he meant. What he, what he wanted to tell you is that if you eat the fruit, your eyes will be opened and you'll become just like God. And the enemy has been on this uh, mission, I think, to paralyze the, the faith of sons and daughters with this kind of cynicism. And so we ask, but we ask probably prayers that are smaller and more manageable, and probably we could make happen ourselves. But I, I, want, I, I want hope to rise again this morning. Faith to rise again this morning. And so to, to hold this kind of cynicism is to actually be distant from God. But what I love is these words that Jesus says before miraculous healing happens, before the kingdom invades humanity and is revealed in humanity as we see in the Gospels, when the widow of Nain's son is dead, Jesus tells her, weep not. 
weep not. And it's this injection of hope in a place of darkness. It reverses the ancient Jewish funeral lament. Weep all that are bitter of heart. But Jesus comes and says, weep not. And he instills hope where the cynicism is present. When Jairus tells Jesus his daughter is dead, Jesus says, do not fear, only believe. Come on, that's hope. That's hope. When there was a crippled woman, Jesus tells her, woman, you are free. Why is she still crippled? And this whole idea that Jesus brings hope before He heals. And I don't know what you might be going through today that may have caused the cynicism to creep in. So we pray, your kingdom come if you've got time. Your kingdom come, your will be done if you see fit at some point. But I'll honestly be all good if you don't do anything at all, Lord. Your kingdom come but I don't know if I really actually will step out in faith. So you kind of have to give it to me on a silver platter with 500 different signs that this is actually your will and then I'll believe it. If somehow that's kind of crept in and can I say, it's happened to me. And then in a place and in a time like this, hope. God wants to inject again. He wants to touch your heart and heal your soul and restore your body and do all of those things. But right now, He wants to bring hope. Why don't you stand to your feet? I skipped half the sermon this morning. And I'm glad I did. And I, I, I just want to finish with this as we close. Oops. There's this statement here, when it comes to the kingdom, the heart of the matter is a matter of your heart. To finish where we started today, which is how does the kingdom come? It would appear obvious in Scripture that the kingdom comes as He becomes King in our heart. As He is enthroned in our own lives, then the kingdom of God is revealed in, a, in the sphere around us. And this morning, I wanna pray just for anyone this morning where that cynicism has crept in, that temptation to live at a lower level of faith that temptation or that space where you, you don't even really want to ask God anymore because so much has happened, you don't even know how. If that's you this morning, I just really believe God wants to break limitations and those lies off of your heart and have hope rise again in your heart. And so even as the team is, is, is up here already, what I want you to do is be brave. And I actually wanna open up the altar this morning for prayer because I truly believe that as these limitations are broken off, as hope comes back into people's lives, that faith is gonna be restored and people are gonna declare again and believe again and hope again and see the kingdom come in ways we never thought possible.
So if that's you in any way or shape or form, then today God wants to bring that injection of hope into your life. And if you know that's what you need, why don't you come out your seat and come down the front and we're gonna pray together. We're gonna pray together and we're gonna believe that God's gonna move in your heart. Thank you, Jesus. if that's you this morning, the altar is open. Why don't you come on down? Let's pray. Let's believe heaven's going to invade on your behalf. Thank you, Jesus. Would you just stretch your hands out to those who are responding down here this morning? If you're part of the prayer team, um, could we have you come and just stand with these people just in support? We'd love to have your faith join with these ones. Thank you, Jesus. King Jesus. King Jesus. Father, we thank you. We thank you that in times of difficulty and darkness, that there is a new day and hope is available. So Father, let hope rise in every heart. Let hope rise. Let hope rise. You are a new creation. Let hope rise. You have an inheritance in God. Let hope rise. You are accepted and adopted as children of the Most High King. Let hope rise in every heart. And Father, as hope arises, let joy arise in every heart. Let faith arise. Let innovation and creativity arise. In Jesus' Name. Thank You, Lord. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope that that message was inspiring, encouraging, and hopefully equipped you for life. And if you're looking to get connected with Equippers Church, you can go to equipperscc.com slash connect, fill out a simple form, and someone from our team will be reaching out. You can find all kinds of opportunities to connect, to give, 
and receive prayer on our website, equippercc.com. And hey, we really hope to meet you in person sometime, see you in the room. But until then, keep tuning in. We hope that you are blessed by Equippers Church here on YouTube. Love you so much. God bless.